that actually is the hope that maybe, maybe we are realizing that the only way to move forward is to realize that it doesn't matter if you pray as a Jew or you pray as a Christian. We still pray to God. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to the Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for a throwback God Squad program called What's Happening to Us. I am so excited to introduce our podcast listeners to the infamous God Squad. If you're a regular listener, you've probably heard us talk about God Squad a few times, but we haven't aired even a piece of a God Squad program yet on the Village Squarecast. Well, that's about to change. New and old God Squad programs will be mixed in with our other topics on the Village Squarecast. And our new year of programming is about to begin, so be sure you sign up for Village Square's newsletter at tlh.villagesquare.us so you can attend the new events when they happen. All events are virtual for now, but if you get the newsletter, you'll be the first to know when we go back to in-person. Anyway, back to this program. Usually the God Squad, in true Village Square form, purposely selects topics where the panelists have differing opinions in order to offer the community civil, thoughtful, and constructive conversation on the big issues happening in our lives. But this program was a little different. It happened two years ago in November of 2018, right before the 2018 election and right after the synagogue tragedy in Pittsburgh. The group was supposed to discuss abortion, big topic, right? But they responded to the needs of our community and decided instead to focus on the things that bring us together. This is another event where I found myself astonished that it occurred years ago. It could have been yesterday. Even the short description for the event, written two years ago, sounds like it was made for 2020. Here's what it says. The tragic events of the last week have devastated an already polarized country. As we head into a divisive election, we seem to lack the capacity to be together even in times of national grief and trauma. So we've asked the God Squad to provide some much-needed perspective in this storm. See what I mean, you guys? That screams 2020 to me. So all that to say, this discussion was really helpful to me now in this current day, and I hope it will be for you too. All right, let's meet the God Squad. First up, Pastor Betsy Olette Zierden of Good Samaritan United Methodist Church. I think that happens is we get bogged down in the solutions, and the solutions sometimes divide us. And the solutions themselves are not the solution, right? Next up, we have Rabbi Jack Romberg, an original member of the God Squad representing Temple Israel, who has since retired. And it didn't matter what religion you were or what political party you were, if you had any political party, the genuine love and caring was just overwhelming. And I am convinced after that night that the only way, that the way we can get our our country on the best possible path is if we just continue to show this love and caring and and put aside the other nonsense and understand we all have to take care of each other we all have to be with each other stand by with each other and 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 love each other next up we have pastor Derek McGee founding pastor of Bible based church and also an original member of the God squad those of us in the faith community we have to return back to our faith traditions is what governs our political views, not the other way around. 
Next up, we have Father Tim Halita from Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. But our national politics has become like sports. It's hard for us to have a big influence on it. And I think that can really kind of cause us to be depressed. But if we if we focus more, too, on our local, our own eating together, being together, I think it totally changed our perception of things, too, to see each other as human beings. And finally, we have Dr. Gary Schultz from First Baptist Church. This was actually his first time joining the God Squad. We want to be a church that is open to hardcore conservatives and hardcore liberals, everybody in between, and we want to come together around the gospel. As you can probably tell, there was an issue with Pastor Gary's microphone during this program, causing him to sound a little choppy. Apologies to all of you and to Pastor Gary about that, but his points still come through and are very important, so please bear with us this time. All right, one last comment from me before we get started. One thing I noticed listening to this is how this event demonstrates what's so special about the Village Square and how through these programs and relationships, they help to create a foundation in our community for us to stand upon in our most challenging moments. We talked about that in earlier episodes with regard to race and the local color program. Well, in just a minute, you'll hear how these faith leaders came together to support the Jewish community after the synagogue tragedy, giving people of all faiths an opportunity to grieve and come together in person to mourn and process and connect. They had the foundation of these friendships and this history to build on during a time of incredible grief. Again, this has me thinking about today and how important our hometown relationships are in facing the hard work before us. All right, let's turn you over to the God Squad. Here's Pastor Betsy Olette Zierden, who was the facilitator of this program. Well, welcome. Welcome to Good Samaritan. This is my first official day back to work in four months. I was, uh, I was on a, um, yeah, it's good to be back. So thank you for coming to my welcome back party. I was on a sabbatical and I was on a healing journey and I feel so much better and I'm so grateful to be here. I was also able to participate Monday night at the service at the temple, and you're going to hear more about that. I'd like everybody to introduce themselves, but I want to point out that we have a new member, Dr. Gary Schultz. And so why don't you start? Tell us about where you are. Are you glad to be in Tallahassee? Where'd you come from? And the rest of you, just tell us your names, please. (laughs) Yes, very glad to be in Tallahassee. My family, we moved here mid-July to get our call as serving as senior pastor at First Baptist Town. We moved from Central Missouri, where I'd been a pastor of First Baptist of Fulton, Missouri, for about nine years. I've been married for 15 years, two little girls, seven-year-old, five-year-old, and we found out in June we've got a, a third one on the way. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Wonderful to move to Florida. Now we will have a native Tallahassean. So excited about that, but it, it's been wonderful. The, our, our church has been fantastic to us, but we've already seen God bless in a number of ways. Looking forward to what he's going to do in the years ahead, and thankful that the kids be here with us. Hello, everyone. I'm Derek McGee, pastor of Bible-based church, and this is, what, season eight? I think so. I think it started in 2011. Eight. And so I'm fortunate enough to be one of the original members, and they keep asking me to come back. and. I'm grateful for that. Good to see you all again. Father Tim Holita, Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. Jack Romberg, Rabbi at uh, Temple Israel. Some of you might be here for the discussion on abortion, which has been postponed. We are going to revisit that. We, we feel strongly that that's a conversation we want to have. But today, it's been decided, and I get to kind of set the tone, to kind of focus on the feeling of the things that bring us together. On Monday night, there is a service And the feeling in that room was a palpable sense of unity. It seemed as if we were able to put aside differences and respect one another. My friend Jack invited me to offer the prayer from the Christian perspective. And I prayed a Christian prayer. I I invoked the Trinity in the temple. Elvin Octas was invited to say some words and uh, speak a prayer from the Islamic tradition from his faith. And people responded beautifully. So before we begin, I want to read a, I want to read what happens when we don't cooperate. I'm putting the feminine touch here this morning by reading you a story from Aesop's Fables. Remember Aesop's Fables? Stories of virtue. 
right? Stories of virtue that we can all embrace. This is called The Mouse and the Frog, and it's very short. And here's the picture. (laughs) On an ill-fated day, a mouse made the acquaintance of a frog, and they set off on their travels together. The frog pretended to be very fond of the mouse and invited him to visit the pond in which he lived. To keep his companion out of harm's way, the frog tied the mouse's front foot to his own hind leg, and thus they proceeded for some distance by land. When they had come to the pond, the frog told the mouse to trust him and be brave as he began swimming across the water. But no sooner had they reached the middle of the pond than the frog suddenly plunged to the bottom, dragging the unfortunate mouse after him. Now the struggling and floundering mouse made such a great commotion in the water that he managed to attract the attention of a hawk who pounced upon the mouse and carried him away to be devoured. And since the frog was still tied to the mouse, he shared the same fate as his companion and was justly punished for his treachery. Well, Aesop's Fables puts it in a nutshell, if you plot the downfall of your neighbor, you often will be betrayed by your own treachery. Uh, We came together around a story of moral elevation, a a phrase I have heard uh, coined by John Haidt. And so my first question is, would you be willing to tell us your experience on the days before and the day of the service on Monday? How many of you were at the service at Temple Israel Monday? Just look, keep your arms up and look around. That's that's an amazing, amazing amount of people. So on Saturday morning, we have a Shabbat morning service. And afterwards, we always have a luncheon for those that are there. And during the luncheon, somebody came to me and said, you should see what's just happening in Pittsburgh. And he shows me a news feed that showed that four Jews were murdered in a synagogue during the morning services. And that was shocking, so I, I went home, and uh, when I went home, uh, my wife had the TV on, and we were seeing what was unfolding, and as it just was getting worse and worse and worse, I mean, my initial reaction was just such anger uh, at, at, at so many different you know pieces. And then, uh, then my wife reminded me and said, you know, what about your friend John? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, well, my friend John was one of my, is one of my closest friends from my college days. He was a roommate one year. We met as freshmen and he is, he stayed, he, he's lived his whole adult life in Pittsburgh. Uh, I knew he was, he's really active in the Pittsburgh Jewish community. He's very important part of what's called the Hevra Kadisha, which takes care of providing the traditional rituals for families that that have suffered a death in the family. They do the ritual washing of the body and so forth. And uh, so I called John, and he was in shock. He was fine, but he was in shock because he already knew that one of the members of the Hever Kadisha had been shot and was in a hospital uh, getting surgery to to be taken care of. That's all he knew on, on that point on Saturday. But I got an email from a congregant saying that they had reached out to a city commissioner and that the city manager was going to be calling me. So the city manager, Reese Goad, uh, whose new city manager called me a little later in the afternoon, offered to provide, um, you know, ask what we needed at Temple. And, of course, we were concerned about security for the next morning for religious school and so forth. So we worked that out. I was really just so moved by his sincere talk of caring. It wasn't like he was just doing the job. It was very much that he was deeply, deeply concerned, and he had already told me that uh, Chief Police Chief DeLeo was deeply concerned, mm-hmm. and 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 I could sense already that it wasn't just doing a job, that it was actually really caring that we were okay. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him, but as I'm talking to him, I'm getting texts and calls from people like Betsy and 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 Dave Colleen, who's you know you all know who Dave Colleen is, uh, rector of St. St. John's Episcopal. Dave is a very close friend of mine and one of the founders of, of Faith Food Friday. And and Dave was already asking me, what can I do? What can I do? What does Temple Israel need? And my friend Elvin Aktas, who is a, a part, he's active in the Atlantic Institute, which is a Turkish Muslim piece. 
and Elvin and I know his other for years, he, had, he was already reaching out, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? Uh, this is so appalling. And I realized that as Saturday afternoon was going on, that we needed to, we needed to get together and have a service to honor, you know, to honor the memories and the, of the victims and to try and just come together in some way. So, um, the, the outpouring of, of emotion, then Sunday was a day where we were at Sunday school. I went up to the policeman who was parked in our parking lot. I, I to thank him for being there. And he got out of his car and he came to me and he said, what do you need me to do? I will do anything that the congregation needs. I'm getting teary now. Because he was so, he was, wasn't just a policeman doing his job. It was a policeman who really cared, was really concerned about, about what was happening to us. And, and, you know, so it was, it was, and that was all day talking to people and getting calls. And, and so we put the service together. I am so deeply grateful to Betsy and to Dave Colleen. You know, th- these are people who are longtime friends of mine, uh, and Elvon. Uh, uh, and then, of course, Monday morning, President Thrasher from FSU, his office called, uh, because there were a, a, a chunk of Jewish students from FSU um, that the Hillel organization, the Hillel is the organization that the Jewish students can belong to and be active in on campus, and uh, the director of Hillel, had called and said President Thrasher wants to come and be there with the students. So they had left with my administrator his cell number, and I had got I've gotten to know Thrasher over the last couple of years, and we had already started to form a, a, a really nice relationship. And I called him. He was in his car on the way out to Panama City to reopen the FSU campus there, and he said, "I just want to be there for the students." I said, "Well." Uh, President Thrasher, would you mind actually sitting with us on the pulpit and saying a few words? And he goes, I'm so honored. I'm so honored why, that you would ask me to do that. You know, so you know, his, his response was just so, again, filled with caring and not just obligation, but true, true caring. So um, Monday night comes and we had originally set up the main sanctuary with 379 chairs. And, and the idea was to have other chairs, and, and then we have a wall that separates the sanctuary from the social hall. And the idea was that if the sanctuary filled up, we would then open the, the wall and, and have people sit in the additional chairs. Well, by five, it was called for 6.30. By 5.15, we already had a bunch of people there. So I, the staff made the decision, well, we're not even going to close the wall. We'll just leave it open. And by 6 o'clock, it was clear that everything was getting filled. By 6.30... When we started the service, people were still pouring into the building, and the entire, there was not one seat left. The walls were filled with people all the way around, and it was, it was just blew me away about the genuine caring. And in the aftermath, so many Facebook messages from people, so many uh, posts. And before I stop, I have to thank St. John's Episcopal one more time because during Sunday, one of the things that made me cry was they reached out and offered to provide child care so that people could bring their kids and that they would watch the children. And they offered to help, you know, with the parking lot. They just, you know, the, 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 the combination of everybody showing who showed up and the, the warmth and the caring just showed me, just showed me that whether it was a fellow clergy or whether it was a city or county commissioner, of which a number of them were there, or whether it was a person just as a member of a congregation, because I know numerous churches had offered prayers for the Jewish community on Sunday morning. didn't matter whoever it was, and it didn't matter what religion you were or what political party you were, if you had any political party, the genuine love and caring was just overwhelming. And I am convinced after that night that the only way, that the way we can get our our country on the best possible path is if we just continue to show this love and caring and and put aside the other nonsense and understand we all have to take care of each other we all have to be with each other stand by with each other and 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 love each other thank you thank you jack um yeah so i i got a email from my daughter in san diego i have a granddaughter she my first. <laughs> she is uh, 13 months old, 
And I got an email about the security at her school. Uh, she is a, not a little Jewish baby. She's a little Christian baby, although she hasn't been baptized yet. I said, you need to be a part of a faith community before I can baptize her. And she said, we are. We're a part of the San Diego Jewish Academy. <laughs> so she goes to a the Jewish Academy there in San Diego. These 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 tragedies affect all of us. I would like to, and I know, Jack, you shared about your anger. So I'd like to give the rest of the God Squad an opportunity to consider when have you allowed your anger, bitterness, resentment, blame, entrenchment in a specific position, when have you allowed it to move you towards something good and gracious? Is there a time that you can remember? Because, yes, we're angry about things, and yes, we have sighs, and yes, we think we're right, but... John Height says that there's an elephant and a rider, and the rider is the one with the reasoning. But we really respond to things emotionally, and it's our emotions that really propel us forward. Can you think of a time when you allowed your anger to transform into something that propelled you forward? That's what happened here on Monday. You can. Since there's a pause, I guess I'll I say have other questions. I, if you can say no, I've never allowed had that relation, experience. I'll start praying for you. In relation to this particular event, I was. Um, I was at the football game, if you want to call it that, um, <laughs> with my father. And you sound angry. <laughs> no, not angry, just realist. <laughs> Despairing? Um, yeah. Sad. Sad yeah. in my heart. Depressed, yeah. Um, and my dad uh, was with me, and, and he showed me on the phone. He said, there's been a shooting. And um, I said, well, okay. And, and what I was amazed at, and I spoke about this at Mass the next day, was at my sort of um, maybe kind of callousness, right? I mean... Like kind of like used to it, you know, maybe just sort of like, I, and I was at this game and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I will look at this later. Like I, I just, I don't know. I just sort of, how sad it's become that this has become more ordinary, that there's been these shootings, that there's been innocent people killed in churches and synagogues now and schools and so on and public places. And I, I was a little alarmed, at least within myself. Um, so I, my immediate wasn't like anger, but more like hopelessness. Like just sort of like, I can't do anything about this. Like this is like, what do we do? This is just overwhelming all this stuff that's going on. Uh, but in terms of anger, whenever I find myself angry, I find the best thing is to, to, to search and ask myself, like, first off, what is it that makes me angry about this situation or event or action that's been done to me? But to ask, was there malice involved, you know, and then to, to work through that. Um, if there was malice, and oftentimes, at least in interpersonal relationships, there isn't. In my case, most of the time, I find that's not. I think in this incident, that's different. But that would, and that leads me then to conversation and and reaching reconciliation with somebody. Mm-hmm. If if you don't have an answer, I have another question. <laughs> well, I think just to build on that, when when I hear the news of the think of last week. Not just what happened in, in Pittsburgh right. earlier in the week with the bombs being mailed yeah, out yeah. to the, all the different Democratic supporters, politicians. In, in Louisville this past week, there was an incident where a, a man tried to break into a black church, kill people, wasn't able to, so he went to a Kroger and just shot the first black ladies that he came across. And particularly having lived in Louisville, knowing exactly where this was, my sense, not only of a, of a hopelessness, I would say that that's often my temptation, but of a frustration that it doesn't seem like anything is going. And as preached to the, my congregation on, on Sunday, where I was going was Book of Revelation, chapter 21, and how the, the gospel is meant to transform everything. How our hope as Christians on earth. One of the things that I had to wrestle through Saturday night was I. I believe this, right? That, that God is in the process of reconciling all things to himself through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 20 puts that. And, and going back to God and saying, yes, there, there is hope here. That God can bring people together. That God can heal life. That's what we believe. And then trying to incorporate that Monday morning as we prayed for these different disasters, Jewish community and to remember, this is what God is doing. So I often think, yes, that, that temptation is there, particularly for me, it's the frustration of looking at our society and saying, I can't be fixed. Right. Because there seem to be obvious solutions. I remember there's obvious solutions. Well, 
their solution might not be nice. But there is hope. And is it possible we're putting too much hope in political answers? Derek often mentions that, and so do you. Derek, do you have a comment? Is that a question? You know, you can say what you want here. Well, did you want to answer the one about politics? I, uh, yes, on that one, I'll be brief. <laughs> I could tell you, like... No, I, 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 I would just tell you, I, the answer is yes, we are putting too much in there. I think it's also people, like you mentioned the bombs, the pipe bombs, there are also people who are being, they think they're being disciples by politicians to do what they're doing. And, and I wrote down, my first emotion was anger. And then my first question was why? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming, it seems, a very normal behavior and, you know, we, I preach a message of hope, but there are times you find yourself very hopeless. Um, my first thought when I read about it was I thought about Charleston, South Carolina, you know, mm-hmm. in your most safest place you're supposed to be able to be in, which is your place of worship. When, when a demented person comes in here and opens up violence like that, you start looking at everything differently. Um, something simple as going to the grocery store. And so I, I definitely think we put a lot of pressure on politicians, the expectations. And yeah, I'll, I'll come back. To OK. Well, how do we stir up hope? I think Monday night, and I, Jack knows, as many of you don't know, my reason for not being there was not because I didn't was a supporter. You guys know how I feel about Jack. My saying is, I love his wife, I tolerate him. <laughs> but Jack is a dear friend of mine, and but um, Audrey's close. <laughs> but but in, in all sincerity, Monday night to me is is a grateful moment that shows our city can come together in that regard. What we have to remember to keep doing, though, is is keep remembering Monday night and making that a consistent effort going forward. Because the fact of the matter is, like I mentioned, I mean, you could be anywhere at any time. And, and that's the scary. You mentioned about the guy going to the black church. You know, it's it's we had to beef up our security at church, a place we should be able to come and be safe at. And, and you know, I have I have armed people in my church and regular church attire because there is a fear. There's absolutely a fear. And I get emotional thinking about it because, you know, it's it's this is a reality that I never thought my kids would have to experience from a, from this standpoint. Racism is, is one thing, man. But now it's just complete invasion like this. And when you when you think about brothers and sisters who are in, in, impacted, you you feel the pain. Absolutely feel the pain. There's a this week's Torah portion being read in all of the Jewish congregations. It begins with the death of Sarah and it ends with the death of Abraham. Uh, and what's noted in, in Jewish commentary is, of course, uh, we all know that Ishmael, who was Abraham's first son, but done, you know, through Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaiden, uh, Ishmael and Hagar were kicked out of the camp just before Abraham takes Isaac up to the Mount Moriah to perhaps sacrifice him. Uh, so there is a problem between Ishmael and Isaac. And today, of course, that almost represents, you know, Ishmael, of course, is considered the founder of Islam, okay, the beginning of the, of the Muslim movement. And Isaac, of course, is the beginning of Judaism. But at the end of the Torah portion, when Abraham dies, the Torah is very clear that Ishmael and Isaac are together doing the burial of their father. Well, that's a good thing that they came together and that their relationship, according to commentary, was strong afterwards. Isn't it sad that it takes a death to bring people together? Yes. What would be truly hopeful is if we take what happened on Monday night, not just in Tallahassee and in in a number of places around the country, in other Jewish synagogues everywhere. My colleagues have been posting the numbers that have been showing up from the, you know, the communities in general, Christians, Muslims, so forth, all appearing. And it's, it's into the hundreds of thousands of people that have been in synagogues this week with my fellow Jews, uh, to, to, to be with them, to support them. Well, that actually is the hope that maybe, maybe we are realizing that the only way to move forward, the only way that we can have hope is is to realize that it doesn't matter if you pray as a Jew or you pray as a Christian. We're still praying to God. We're still praying to God, okay? And it doesn't matter if the tragedy was in a, a church or a synagogue or in a supermarket or in a school. It's human lives that are being brought down. 
I think that happens is we get bogged down in the solutions and the solutions sometimes divide us. And yes. the solutions themselves are not the solution, right? Um, I, I wonder if I'm not the only clergy person on, on up here today that hasn't experienced the confusion of preaching the gospel or preaching the Torah and then having congregation members accuse you of taking a political side when you're simply preaching the words of Jesus or you're sharing words of Torah. I have a spiritual director who is wonderful, and she works with clergy. And she said there's a despair among clergy, and she's in New England, so it's not just in the South. We we feel like we're not sure how to comfort you because even the words of the text seem to be used as a divider. So I don't know how you all have navigated that. I took a four-month sabbatical and had heart surgery. (laughs) So could you speak to that? I'm convinced you have to be faithful to what Scripture says and explain it as graciously and as courageously as you can, knowing that there will be people who will sometimes misunderstand it and believe that you stand on the other side. I, I think I'm also convinced that in order to do that, of course, you have to live as much as you can above reproach so that you can have the character and the integrity to be able to do that. But that, that's one of the things that I pray for often is those, those two things, courage and grace. The courage to say something that I know might upset somebody and, and the grace to do it in such a way that hopefully they can hear it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is particularly difficult. I've found, I've been a, a, a pastor now for probably close to 15 years and, and I do feel like it's harder today than it ever has been. Yeah. Because people will automatically categorize, put you in a particular category no matter how hard you try to stay above that. And I know for myself, I do try hard to stay above that in our church to stay above that. We want to be a church that is open to hardcore conservatives and hardcore liberals, everybody in between. And we want to come together around the gospel. Right. And, and yet that is, I think, and, and this is where sometimes my despair and hope, and I don't necessarily see that getting better, but we have to keep doing it. Well, this is a, a, a good starting place for going forward. Derek? I'll be brief. The one thing I would say about that, and I agree with Betsy, I, I think one of the challenges also is is those of us in the faith community, we have to return back to our faith traditions is what governs our political views, not the other way around. I think what's happening is, if you look at this across our world, People, I mean, you're almost being forced to pick a side, one or the other. Right. And if you don't pick a side, then you get ostracized. And so now, if I'm over here, everybody over there has to be my enemy. And then I will find a reason to justify that behavior. You mentioned the word grace, which I think is so key and so amazing. When you walk around before we get started here and having conversations, no one ever asks, are you a Christian? Or are you a Jew? We just, we like seeing each other and we're grateful that we're back again and so on and so forth, which is so awesome. Um, there are divides that take place, but I would just challenge all of us. I got posed a question. The question I got posed is, is if you got a call from a liberal Democrat as a, as a pastor who needed prayer, could you pray for them? And before you laugh, that was a real question because here's a, it's a great question because, because I lean conservative in a lot of views, I had to ask myself the, the question, that same question back and the answer should always be yes. But in this time, the person who asked the question asked that because based on today's timing, the assumption by some is, is that you would only deal with those who have the same views you have. And although my answer was yes, I can. I think about that because I do know people who probably wouldn't have said yes. And I think the question is so key. I, I've never I haven't dealt that from my congregation. People questioning from the tech standpoint. I've had it from the other end is I'm very hardcore on trying to diversify our church. And I have members of my church asking the question of why. Because, you know, and, and I think that's that's the concern I deal with is why do we want to why can't we just be 100 percent African-American? Why do we have to have other people come in here? And I'll keep saying because heaven's not going to be all black. <laughs> right on. But here's why you need to understand that they're asking the question because many of my congregants, their safe haven is right. church. Right. And when an incident happens like a Charleston, for example, there are some who, who, who look a second and third time at those who are not black. And so when right. I ask that question. It's in that vein. And in dealing with that, that's where my hopelessness come is, is how do you tilt that mindset to believe in the scriptures wholeheartedly? Well, I remember the time we were actually at St. Thomas More and the topic of poverty came up 
And you had a very progressive stance in the opinions of many in the uh, congregation and on the panel even. But it was out of your experience and out of the gospel. It wasn't political. And I I respect you so much for that. And I I actually think that rather, um, I'm not really disagreeing with my friend Derek. I just am kind of putting it in a little different perspective. Not that your religious views should drive political views, but that we should realize that the basic morality that's being taught is not teaching us to identify with a particular political party or to with a particular policy, political policy. And my congregants have heard me give this example a number of times. Deuteronomy 15 tells us that we should not tolerate the existence of poverty. It tells us that. It says it's always going to exist, you can't but you cannot tolerate it, you have to fight it. There is nothing in Jewish tradition, in all the commentary that comes afterwards, or in that chapter in Deuteronomy, that says that we should be fighting poverty by having federal welfare, and there's nothing in there that says it has to be just by charity. It just says we shouldn't tolerate poverty. And so we need to get together and come up with, okay, how are we going to address poverty and say that is the moral stand we should take that should drive whatever we decide in our political world, not that not that the political world should be this way or that way based on based on on uh, something from the Bible. There's been a recent study uh, by Yang Bai from the University of California. Uh, the study is measuring the effect of awe. It's been shown by this study that we when we experience the emotion of awe, we are smaller in ourself, and we see the world in a greater way. I experienced awe on Monday night. Can you think of a time when you experienced awe and it changed your worldview? And if you can, how can we create more experiences of communal awe that might move us forward? I've had, uh, I mean, I can think of numerous that are related to what we're talking about. I mean, I can think of when we had Parvez come was that about a year ago? Um, a Muslim and share with us. We had a great discussion on Islam. I learned a lot. Um, it definitely opened up my view, changed a lot. I had a great chat yesterday with a man that I meet with regularly from my parish. He's from Honduras. And I asked him, I said, what's your take? He's an American uh, citizen. And um, I said, what's your take on this, this whole caravan business? I, I really was interested to hear what he had to say. And for a man who's come who lived in that poverty and has told me before that he actually grew up at one point eating dirt um, and would have, you know, parasites and so on. I mean, the poverty that he lived in, um, his view on this was just, was fascinating. Um, and, and I was in awe, again, you know, to, to kind of be connected in some way to the situation there. He didn't have a political situ- or solution to this problem, but he, I think his main point was to see that as a cry of help, that these people are willing to do this because of the poverty that they're experiencing. And to hear it firsthand from someone um, opened my mind. When I experience all, all I have to do is think about this universe, first off. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I mean, if I just think about the fact that I exist, I mean, that changes everything. And I have a picture on my office wall of a nebula that's like 3,500 night years away. And if I'm in the middle of some heavy stuff, which is on a daily basis, <laughs> right above that person is the nebula, you know? And I can look <laughs> at the nebula and I can remember, that thing's really far away. It's doing whatever it does. Like this world, I mean, the universe, it's incredible. And it just puts things into perspective, yeah. right? And in light of that, let's, be, let's put things into perspective here too, as tragic as these things are. Yeah. This is a great community. This is a great town. And the fact that we're here today, I think, demonstrates that. And I think it's, it's important for us to also have hope. What happened Monday evening over a temple, um, these gatherings, these different things we're doing, the things that the Village Square is doing. The response, There's a lot of great hope. The response to the hurricane. The response to the hurricane is incredible. If that wind incredible. didn't cause awe, I don't know what did. The fact that we can get up here and talk, yeah. <laughs> right, and be together and so on. I, can I make one more point? Is that okay? Please. I won't say anything again after this. <laughs> I, really? I just got permission to talk as much as I want. Um, <laughs> great. Sit back. I, I just... I wonder sometimes what would be helpful in our country, and maybe this is something to explore later, is if we were more local. If we were more local. Because I think the frustration when I hear about what happened in Pittsburgh is is that it's so far away that I can't do anything about it, or very little I can do immediately, right? Whereas when we're local, like what happened with the hurricane, 
people come together. Right. Um, what I'm seeing happening with my brother, a priest in Panama City, seeing what they're doing over there and the way they're serving people is a beautiful thing. But to be more local, right? We, I, you lament the fact that you hold candidate forums in your in your church and no one shows up to listen. I mean, but our national politics has become like sports, and it's so much. There's it's. It's hard for us to have a big influence on it, and I think that can really kind of cause us to be depressed. But if we if we focus more, too, on our local, our own eating together, being together, I think it totally changed our perception of things, too, to see each other as human beings. We have to live together as community, and if our existence is in cyberspace, and my relationships to others and in politics is only through cyberspace, I think that's where we have a lot of our division and... Yeah. What's going on in our world? Uh, well, speaking of that, I recently, for my own well-being and uh, the pr- preservation of my spirit, I canceled my newspapers except for the local paper. And I always made an effort to read papers from varying perspectives. So I canceled the Wall Street Journal. I canceled the New York Times. I'll hear about the big news. But I kept the Democrat because I want to know what's going on in your lives. Well, I'll be for me, my, my uh, moment truthfully came last year September I was blessed to go to Uganda and it was a dream come true I wanted to go to Africa I didn't really have a particular place but I got a chance to go to Uganda and I was there for seven days and it puts life in perspective ladies and gentlemen when you're around people who are fully aware of their poverty and still every day make life worth living Mm -hmm. I also we got we were living with a host pastor while we were there and in the household with multi-generations where the pastor's wife's aunt, who became disabled, they moved her in, took care of her full expenses. She was in a wheelchair, but their bedrooms were upstairs. And I watched every evening and every morning the pastor and his son, whose son probably was six, pick up their disabled auntie and carry her up the stairs. Every night, I mean, and every morning bring her back down, never complain, never gripe, never moan. I watched this play out. I, I had a chance to watch this. These are individuals who are fully aware of, of their struggle. And you start putting your life in perspective. You start you start looking at things totally different, going to worship and watching people come out of the woods and and walking in full regalia Mm -hmm. in the hot African sun and staying at church two, three, four hours. People who walk miles to get there and just happy to be amongst everyone else. um, You start looking at things a whole lot differently, a whole lot differently. And and, and there's a lot that goes on in, in, in Africa, at least in Uganda, where I was. But. You, you can't help have your life change in that regard. Tim mentions about local, and I, and I always say this from a political standpoint, um, national politics irritate me, but local politics affect me. And we, we gotta remember that, that, that what happens in D, it irritates me, it really does, but locally it impacts me, it affects me, and it's flipped. We become so consumed by national. If you watch Fox News is one spin. You watch CNN is another spin. It goes back and forth. I'm in a political season now and so I've read 15 polls over the last six days. Every poll has had this guy up, this guy down, mm-hmm. and you're following all these things that happen. I got clients like who are market. very, very concerned about the outcome. And here's the fact of the matter. Here's what I know to be true. Come November the 7th, the sun will rise in the sky. But you forget about that because you're worried about who's going to win and not win. And so I've learned to dial back into the simple moments, mm-hmm. the simple moments of my eight year old daughter being happy when I come home. Yeah. Those type of things that I sometimes forget about. And, and, and you don't realize. And Jack mentioned earlier, sometimes it's death that, that shakes you and awakes you and brings people together. But I don't want that to happen for me to have to really appreciate what I have and who I have around me. But, but, but Uganda really, it changed me in a major way where I really started appreciating the simple things and started being mindful that this person has next to nothing and still loved me the whole time I was there. Come on, Derek. It's not that bad. I think we're ready for, is that what you're waving? <laughs> we're ready to take some questions or comments from the audience. So back to the previous comment regarding the hope. I'm, I'm fairly cynical. And yes, as my wife so sarcastically responded. She mentioned she didn't screen this question. <laughs> so don't, don't hold it against others who are associated with me. Anyway, um, in terms of hope, uh, my question is why? Why must we have hope? Why is hope necessary, especially in these contexts? Okay, in terms of my own uh, religious context, right? 
Um, I, I don't, I'm fairly cynical, bearish on the issue of, say, racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation within American evangelicalism. It's been 400 years now, and we thought we were somewhere, and then two years ago, we actually weren't as far along as we thought we were. So um, th there are some things that are fairly revealing, or, or as a matter of fact, that some of these things are not going to be resolved. I don't believe, for example, that American evangelicalism will defeat racism, right? So why must we have hope? Or rather, perhaps we should define hope. Hope in what? Hope in who? Why hope? And what, what does hope do for the marginalized and the people that are on the fringes? I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily, this whole get up, look at the sun is going to rise again November 7th. But uh, yeah, my kid might still get shot. My church might still get broken into. Massacres are still going to happen. So why hope? Harry? For me, hope is the belief that things will not always be like. So we, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is marked by what the Bible calls sin. Each in our own unique ways contribute to that. And yet hope says that things will not always be like this. We believe in a transcendent God who rules over all things. We believe, and as a Christian, believe that he has sent his son to this world to make things better, that his kingdom is coming. Hope hope ought to be found, I believe, in more concrete expressions. I think, I think sometimes we have these ideas, well, well, yes, that the re racial reconciliation must be, must be solved, but what about when racial reconciliation actually takes place between two people or in a congregation where it hasn't before? That's, that's progress. That's hope. That's, that's hope. progress. Okay. And, and I think that's, if, if we lose hope, if we give into our cynicism, we begin to lose the gospel or that things will be better. We begin to lose the motivation to actually live in such a way that things can be better. And of course, as, as a Christian, it is that gospel that is that hope that Jesus will one day make all things right that bribes that. That's good. So, so um, Jewish people have been more oppressed than anybody else for the last 2,500 years. And yet, among our people, hope is a driving piece. Every year at Passover, we pray that next year in Jerusalem will be one of peace. It's our hope. The national anthem of the state of Israel, Hatikva, the hope. Now, why do we have it after all this oppression? Because at every turn where we face moments of suffering, we gather together our strength, we express our faith in our religion, in our, in, in our approach to God, and we see things that start to push us in a better way. And you're still here. Isn't and that? we're still here. They tried to kill us. Okay. We're still here. Let's uh, eat. Uh, Theodore Herzl saw the what was happening to Dreyfus in France in the in 1898 and started the Zionist movement, which ended up just after the Holocaust in the creation of the state of Israel. Well, that's something incredibly hopeful for all of us who are Jewish. Okay, my my dad was fleeing from Germany in 1939, barely getting out, just as the war broke out. He came to America, and his life changed from one of oppression to one of incredible hope. And, and so, yes, look at the new generation coming up. They are so much less prejudiced than my generation. That's hope. That's hope. I just, can yeah. I say something to the hope? I mean, I, my answer, quick, much like Gary, I think, and also in somebody's jacket, it's because I believe in God. But that we, as I think we, we have gotten to a point, are so comfortable that any kind of suffering uh, we just try to avoid and get rid of. And, and you pick the tragedy and you pick the disaster, and there's no amount of punishment. You mentioned racial things. Like, we could give every dollar there is to every African American in the United States, and that wouldn't solve the problem, and it wouldn't alleviate the suffering that's taken place. So for me, as a Christian, how does God bring good out of the suffering, and how do I embrace even, yes, even like this, the things I don't want in my life, this hurricane, how did God bring good out of this? Right. Amazing Both things are helpers. happening. Yeah, houses are lost and stuff, but that's not the most important thing in the world, right? Sad for the people who actually lost their lives. The scandals in my church, I'm sure, I'm glad we're not talking about that. We know we've been in the news a lot lately. 
Um, but believe me, that's been one of the most difficult months of my priesthood. I almost didn't want to wear my collar for a while. And I wanted it to go away, right? I wanted Trump, Trump, tweet something crazy so people stop talking about us, right? Like something happened in the news, get us off, you know, because why? That's my reaction. I, I want to get, I don't want to face this, I don't want to deal with suffering. But no, like instead I had to say, you know, what good can come from this? Well, it makes me take my life more seriously, my priesthood more seriously. It makes me want to be a better Christian, a better priest, more faithful priest. And yes, we need to root out the problems in our church. That's a good thing. And instead of always to run and leave, you know, from suffering and just looking for the quick fix, we need to look, well, what is God trying, this is how I view it, what is God trying to say to me here? What is, there, what is, what is being speaking to me right now that I have to address and engage and be in front of instead of just trying to hide and make everything easy? I think we have a question. I think it's wonderful the way the society in general came together on Monday. I think it's wonderful the way we came together after the hurricanes, after 9-11. I think it's wonderful the way we come together here, and I like and admire and respect all of you every bit as much as I do, Mrs. Romberg. <laughs> <laughs> but my Jewish brain has a question of myself, and I'd like to get your feedback. And I had these same thoughts. Remember a year or so ago, we had a conversation here about um, echo chambers and differences and stuff like that. Can you discuss a little bit? It can be said that the five of you are in the business of maintaining separation and differences. You all came together on Monday together as one. But this weekend, you're all going your separate ways, highlighting your differences and Dare I say, we're better than them. We're more, not better, but this is the way for us. That's not. Well, I'd like to speak to that just briefly and draw your attention to the corner over here, this beautiful painting of the Tree of Life. A young artist in our congregation, when we were building, she didn't have any money to pledge, so she pledged a painting. Uh, Her name is Hannah Olson. It's the Tree of Life. Under the Tree of Life today, there are candles for the 11 that were slain at the Tree of Life Synagogue. And so while we will be celebrating All Saints Sunday, where we commemorate the dead in, in the Christian church calendar, and we think about the saints, uh, we will be reading the names of the saints that were killed there in um, Pittsburgh. So while we're separate, we remember each other, and we continue to share each other's joys and pains. At least, I think among us, we do that verbally and intentionally. I know that there are other other probably pockets in the city that completely separate themselves from that kind of discussion. That doesn't mean that we will. Is that helpful? we got a pretty diverse crowd at my place. I think the beauty of our melting pot is that we don't quite melt. <laughs> that this weekend there's the Greek food festival, and I'm going to go over there and get some baked goods from the ladies that bake those, and there's the Jewish food festival. And, of course, you always hear a commercial about six months every time we meet from Jack. Um, our diversity actually is strengthening. So in no way do I want us all to look alike, think alike, or even feel alike, as long as we feel those emotions that are within all of us, whether we identify as people that are God-fearers or whether we identify with no God, we all experience awe, joy, hope, pain, sorrow, and tapping into that is important. Do we have time for any more? One more? Thank you. You know, this has been a really great event today. I'm concerned when I hear you say that if I wanted to go to your church, as I've really wanted to do because you're such a great preacher, I hear, um, that people would be concerned, you know, and, and, I understand that, but it pains me, and I think it's very real. I want to say that one of the best things that's happened to me in my life, three of my sisters married Jews, and and just being, you know, in relationship with them and being open as I'm taught. I'm a Roman Catholic Christian. I'm taught. I am a child of God, and we, we all are. And if God created this diversity, and we're all brothers and sisters, then it's important that I, as much as I can, learn about those who are different than I to see where we're alike, you know, so I can bond with that part. And, and so I have learned, especially one of my sisters has decided to convert to Judaism, which intrigued me considerably. 
And as much as she's been willing to share about that journey, it has helped me to understand why she would choose that, you know, for her fulfillment, whereas I'm so very happy, you know, with my Catholicism. And, but I respect everybody's choice, um, if they've really thought and prayed about it and found what is true for them, because I think that's what God had happen. All this diversity, must be part of his plan, because here we are. Now, I wish there were more people of color here. That's one thing I miss in these gatherings, and I appreciate the, the courageous comment of that gentleman back there. I would like to see more people of color, and I don't know how that can happen, but I hope we'll work on that in any way, because I still want to hear differing points of view from people who have been raised differently than me. So let me put the two, two comments together in something very simple and very plain. I am a huge fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Now, if you are a Dallas Cowboys fan, you and I are never going to root for the same team and we're going to be very different. However, however, there's no reason why we can't have a really good talk about football and have a really good time you know, going back and forth about football. My daughter's in-laws are huge Patriot fans, okay? But yet, we talk about football and we, we have a great time together because it's, yes, we are different in our perspectives, but we can come together to have a good conversation. All of us up here view the relationship with God in a different perspective, and we pray in different ways in ways that our congregations feel comfortable in, okay? But I don't see any of us up here coming and, and opening our fists and saying, oh, no, you're, you're evil, you're this or that. No, we all acknowledge that each of our perspectives are needed for each of our groups and each of our congregations, but the underlying thing is morality, is mm-hmm. the presence of God, and we all would agree that we're trying to go in those directions. And I'll just real quickly, you're always invited. <laughs> Seriously. I think it's important to note, I have a multi-generational congregation. And so some of the older ones who have a longer memory may have the greatest struggle. I have a lot of millennials and, you know, they're, they're, they're for everything and against nothing. Um, <laughs> but I, okay. what, what I'm proud of is, is you'll never come and not feel loved. I just, in sidebar conversations. You know, it's when, when you think about people, they know their context. And the context is they were used to growing up in a church full. Everybody looked like them. And so, you know, I'm just trying to present them to a real, realization that's not the full reality. But you would not come in and be ostracized, I promise you. <laughs> you come sit next to me. <laughs> a friend tells the story of having been on a panel with a uh, an African-American woman who was Chicano and uh, an Asian woman and he was the last to speak and when it was his turn to speak he looked and he said you know the only thing that's different from me among the rest of the panelists and he took off his kippah and he said I can pass as a Jew he doesn't have a necessarily a necessary a, a look that separates him from other white people. And he challenged his readers with this story, us Jews, to wear a kippah, to be more visible. So I, I buy into the hope, absolutely. But my education, my, my upbringing as a Jew says I also I have to act. And if my wearing a kippah helps others who are not Jewish recognize that I'm Jewish and stand there, stand there in solidarity with me in however way is appropriate, that to me is a way that we can start coming together and that's an action that we can individually take. And just the last thing I want to share with you is another practice that I've begun. It's called the prayer of examine. It's a prayer if you want it to be, but it's really just a way of questioning where you are today. At the end of the day, if you ask yourself, uh, where was I where I felt life giving? Like where, where and what gave me life today? And where did I experience life draining away from me? 
and spend more time in those places that are life-giving. Because as we are strengthened in our life, as individuals and as a community, that tree of life just expands. As Elvin says, we are all part of the tree of life. Thanks again for every, everyone for being here. Hey there, it's Vanessa, your podcast host. A huge thanks to the God Squad members and attendees for this hopeful and very important program. After spending the last couple of weeks listening to old God Squad programs, I have so much love for this group of people and this program. I think I've only attended one God Squad program in person, so this group is really new to me, yet I already feel like I know them. Whether you're a God Squad regular or a new listener, I hope you enjoyed this program and maybe you're even feeling a little more hopeful. God Squad is just about to begin their 11th season and they have an incredible lineup of topics. You can visit our website and subscribe to our newsletter at tlh.villagesquare.us to see program topics and stay up to date with everything that's happening at the Village Square. And of course, please subscribe to the Village Squarecast in your favorite podcast app or on our website at tlh.villagesquare.us slash squarecast. By subscribing, you can stay up to date with our weekly podcast episodes, airing our new programs and also some of our favorite throwback programs. This podcast is still relatively new, so reviews are especially important. We'd be so grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening to What's Happening to Us. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to The Village Squarecast.